Welcome to the Refined Collective Podcast. I'm your host, Kat Harris. I'm co-founder of the online magazine, The Refined Woman, and my vision is to create a safe space where we can take off that Superman cape of having it all together and share our stories authentically and honestly. I really believe people are dying for the permission to be vulnerable, to just go there but it takes someone being willing to go there first. It's my desire to do just that and invite you and others to do the same by removing that shiny mask of perfection and courageously sharing the imperfect journeys of life, spirituality, love, business, and everything in between. Welcome, hello, to another episode of the Refined Collective Podcast. I feel like the more and more I record episodes, I'm just getting like weirder and weirder with my intros and the voices I use. But if you really think about it, it just means that I'm getting more comfortable with you and we're becoming better friends. And this is the real me. So are you going to love me for the real me? I sure hope so. Um, Before we get into today's episode, I wanted to share with you a few episodes from this fall in the last few months that you guys have been going crazy over. And I just got to say, we've had some baller guests on in the last few months. So I just want to give you some reminders. If you are new to the podcast um, or if you just missed some episodes, I got to tell you, these are some episodes you need to check out stat. Okay, episode 65, I interviewed a girl, Bronia Falshaw, CEO, founder of Mellow Daily CBD. We talk about all things CBD, everything you need to know about CBD. I ask her questions like, how is CBD legal and why? And how do I know it's not all snake oil? And what should I be looking for? And how do I identify a good product? Um, so if you're at all curious about CBD, it's definitely having a moment. Check out episode 65, CBD 101, everything you need to know about CBD. Now, the next episode, oh my gosh, seriously, I could go on and on about Kate Escurry, founder of the Foundation Blog. She is a registered nurse and getting her PhD right now. Wait, I'm sorry, her doctorate. I think that's the same thing, right? (laughs) In integrative um, health and wellness. Her episode, episode number 63, Everything You Were Never Taught About Your Period, was one of the most fascinating conversations I've had in the entirety of this podcast. And I learned more about like my body and my cycle in this hour-long conversation than I have in my whole life. So definitely be sure to check out episode 63 with Kate Escurry, Everything You Were Never Taught About Your Period. And lastly, this episode with Dr. Therese Mascardo, episode 58, How to Marie Kondo Your Mental Health. We talk about all things mental health. Like what is mental health? And is anxiety the same thing as stress? And what are practical ways I can invest into my mental health without breaking the bank? So episode 58 is for you if you are at all interested in learning more about mental health. Now, before I go any further, I just want to thank you for being here. Thank you for listening to my voice. Thank you for being interested in the Refine Collective podcast. If you have been here for one second or the last two years, I want to thank you. And would you do me a huge favor? Go on over to your iTunes, either your podcast app on your phone or iTunes on your computer. Would you go ahead and click subscribe and then leave us a five-star rating and a written review on an episode that you really love? These are so helpful for us because when I read through every single review that we get, I find out which topics are resonating, what you want to hear more about and it helps develop more community with us and it helps get our podcast out there to more and more people. So would you do me a solid and go leave us some love in the iTunes world? Finally, I know you're like, get on with it, Kat. Like, let's talk about today's episode. Today, I have Mike Meyer Shiro on the podcast. And oh my gosh, I am so sorry. He taught me how to say his name like 12 times and I'm still struggling with it. So Mike, please forgive me. Um, Mike is the founder and CEO of NUMA, an innovative organization that redefines people's understanding of the spirit realm. He is the author of the book, The Mike Board and lives in Redding, California. He also travels the world 
teaching on spiritual intelligence, supernatural discernment, emotional health, and entrepreneurship. He is a social media influencer and thought provoker. And let me tell you, Mike and I hopped around on so many incredible topics. We first started on what is spiritual discernment and how do I have it? (laughs) Is it just a gift that some people are born with or can you build that? And then we talked a ton about entrepreneurship and how do you know when you are ready to quit your full-time job to pursue that side hustle? And then we ended on a strong note. He was like preaching fire, y'all. Like, how do I get rid of a scarcity mentality around money? How do I identify if I have a scarcity mentality or um, a mentality of lack when it comes to my finances? So much good stuff. So get on in there. Get ready for this conversation with Mike. He's awesome. You're awesome. Okay, see you on the flip side. Welcome to another episode of the Refined Collective Podcast. I'm your host, Kat Harris. And today I have on a really fun guest, Mike Mashiro. Um, Mike, am I saying your last name right? I can't believe I didn't even ask you before we started recording. It's actually pronounced Maya Shiro. Oh, really? Oh my gosh. No Apologies. Way. No, Mike, you're doing pretty well, actually. Maya Shiro. Yeah. Welcome to the podcast. Thank you. I'm so happy to have you here. I'm happy to be here. I mean, I just, I feel like... I probably sound like a broken record on my podcast because this is typically the story of how I get guests on my podcast. I found you via Carrie Lloyd's Instagram, I believe, and went on a rabbit trail of finding your website. And then I found some podcasts you were on and I was like, oh my gosh, you're amazing. You have such incredible wisdom. Thank you. Um, Let me see if I can get you on my podcast. So (laughs) that's how it happened. (laughs) Nice. Yeah, that's a great way to get in there. Carrie's awesome. You know, just a little investigative researching is what I call it. (laughs) (laughs) So before we get started, um, this is the first time we're talking in our whole lives. Um, (laughs) So very nice to meet you over the internet and over our um, podcast link. But could you just share a little bit about who you are, what you're up to, and honestly, most importantly, why you're up to it? Yeah, totally. Well, like you said, my name is Mike Mayashiro, um, which means I'm half Japanese. My dad is from Okinawa. My mom is American. Um, yeah, and so I, I, yeah, my life is funny and strange and awesome. I part of this, like I was expecting and hoping for, and like my, I'm walking out some of my dreams right now, which feels kind of crazy. Some of it I did not expect. Right, it's kind of a combination of both. Um, which is a funny tension to navigate because some people are like, I never imagined this. And some people are like, I was always expecting mm. it. I feel like I'm somewhere yes. in between um, in the best ways. But I'm kind of a hybrid. When people ask me, what do you do? That's actually a really challenging question for me. I think the best answer is I'm a serial entrepreneur, um, probably just because I have a few different businesses that I've started and run and, and continue to grow now. But I also am heavily involved in the ministry side of the world. So I travel and speak and teach um, specifically on the gift of discernment, spiritual intelligence, emotional health, that kind of thing. Um, and so, yeah, just lots of different outlets for increasing the audience that I'm working with, um, mm. especially in that that vein. So I love... Um, working with people in the business sector, people mm-hmm. um, looking for growth and understanding in their gift of discernment, which mm-hmm. I think is a very under-talked-about subject. And part of the reason I'm teaching this is because you know, I went through two years of ministry school and then worked in that environment for a long time and also taught there. And just part of the thing that pushed me was uh, we weren't being taught this stuff. I'm like, why are we not talking mm-hmm. about these things? Not from an angry place, but from a passionate like desire for clarity and answers. And I've been doing that for like probably five years now. And everywhere I go, whenever I talk about, you know, my story and discernment and that kind of thing, I always have people come up to me afterwards saying things like, I've never heard this before. Who are you? Mm-hmm. You just in my whole life. I finally don't feel crazy for the first time. Like that mm-hmm. kind of thing everywhere. Like, people all over the place are saying the same stuff. I'm like, I don't think this is about me. I think this is a commentary on how the church has neglected this gift and, um, Mm -hmm. you know, these spiritual sensitivities and people's ability to engage in that area. And I think that it's time for the church at large to step onto that and not just be an esoteric subject, but for people to Mm -hmm. actually be able to engage there and grow in their actual skill and competency, you know, in spiritual intelligence and discerning the spirit realm. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's so interesting when, when you say that, because even as you're talking like 
some of the list of questions I have for you is, is like, you know, what is discernment and what is spiritual intelligence? And mm. I think what can happen in religious circles and definitely in the church, um, even outside of it, is when we start talking about spiritual things, it feels like really elusive and really like kind of outer spacey. And I'll, I'll be like, wow, that was like a really good conversation. And those are really good theories, but not really having much to hang my hat on when I walk away. Yeah. So I'm super curious to like get into your thoughts on like what is discernment and what is spiritual intelligence. But first I have a very important question to ask you. Um, Since you're half Japanese, um, I just had a conversation with one of my friends who is half Japanese. And she said, if I get sushi, I should not eat it with soy sauce. Oh, what are your thoughts on that as a half Japanese person? Um, Is that well, true? Well, awkwardly, I do eat my sushi. Well, it depends Ooh, on the role, actually. You know, <laughs> uh, I'm half American, right? I like the soy sauce situation. So I'm not, probably not the best person to ask. I like soy sauce with uh, several of the rolls that I use. You know, I, I put, I mix soy sauce with um, wasabi. And so, mm, yeah, yes. definitely, there's a preference there, right? But I mean, maybe listen to her. She's probably more authentic about it than I am. I don't okay, feel that Okay, I just was like, oh my gosh, I'm that girl that's like <laughs> throwing ketchup on her steak at like a steakhouse. <laughs> right, totally. <laughs> I mean, it also depends okay. on the of your sushi, right? Right, like if you're yeah. getting it at like Walmart, then mm. yeah, mm. let's House get some baby. soy sauce. <laughs> yes, <laughs> right. get some ginger slices, get all the things. <laughs> oh, yeah. But- you know, then I was like, well, is that like Americans putting ranch on everything? Like, don't take my ranch away from me. Like, I will put it on all the things. Yeah. You know, my dad put ketchup on his eggs in the morning. So I don't know if I'm the best Japanese person to ask about that. Yeah. That may have just disqualified you a little bit. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, okay. Well, let's. Okay. I have so many questions based off what you just said a few minutes ago. Um, but let's just dive into like, what is your story with discernment and how did you get to teaching about it? How did it become like a thing for you? And what do you want the world to know about discernment? Oh, just that, huh? <laughs> yeah. So it'll take like, you have 30 seconds and, you know, I hope you can wrap it up real quick. I yeah. have places to be. <laughs> okay. Here we go. Yeah. So my whole life, I didn't know, you have to realize a lot of what I'm about to tell you is it came from hindsight. Um, mm. But my whole life I used to, I've always been very sensitive to other people's, I'm going to say some weird words here and not because I'm trying to be weird. It just, it feels like the most appropriate way to articulate some of these things. Mm. I don't find a lot of Christianese able to articulate some of what I'm trying to specifically Mm. get right. So, um, growing up, I was very sensitive to other people's energy fields. Mm -hmm. Basically their spiritual atmosphere, I think is the technically the right way to say that in Christian circles or at least charismatic Mm -hmm. circles. Um, (laughs) I was very sensitive to people's spiritual atmospheres. Um, other circles, like maybe in the new age community, probably their aura is going to be the way they talk about that. But I was very sensitive to how people were, what they were emitting in the spirit. And I didn't realize that you could actually like pick up that stuff, but I was picking up my whole life. And so I used to have to go on walks as a pretty young kid. And even well into my teenager years, I used to walk by myself so often for so long. I would go for hours, like just walking out into the fields by my parents' house or into the woods or by a body of water. I had to get into nature somewhere and get alone Mm. to just like get away from all the crazy, the noise around me that you couldn't hear with your ears, but I was just so chaotic and like distracted Mm. and had to sort through what was I feeling? And I often had emotions I had no reason to feel. Like, why do I feel anxious? Mm. Why am I angry? What am I afraid of? Where is this sadness coming from? I couldn't figure it out. I had no logical reason to feel the way I was feeling. That was a very common experience for me. Mm. And I didn't know how to process that with other people. I didn't know how to communicate it. So I usually just went alone and talked to God. And most Mm. of the time I couldn't figure out what the problem was. I had no idea that I could actually pick up other people's stuff or other things outside Mm. of my own experience. So it wasn't until I actually ended up at Bethel School of Supernatural Ministry that I met a friend of mine who I met her on the second day of school. She, from the get-go, just started telling me about how she sees evil and knows when people are lying and told me like horror stories of deliverances she'd done. And I was like, oh my gosh, I'm, what is, who is this person? I was kind of freaked out. But And you're uh, like, welcome to Bethel. <laughs> <right>? Exactly. 
And from there, we, you know, just grew in friendship and she just started tutoring and mentoring me in things of the spirit, specifically on the gift of discernment, which was a rigorous, intense learning curve for me because the way she communicated about that stuff wasn't super forthcoming. And I didn't have a ton of grid for what she was saying. Right. And she was also just trying to convey ideas and concepts that are invisible and very subjective in nature. Right. So Mm -hmm. it took a while for me to even just disseminate what she was saying and like break it down. But then I had like a period of time, like two months where just, I had repetitive, intense situations or like experiences in my day where like these things would happen and I know exactly what was was going on and recognize the spiritual nature of it. And then realize like six months ago, my friend told me this or a year ago, she said this. And I just, it started clicking very quickly in a short period of time. And I started realizing like, oh, this is what discernment is in me, like in my life, in my experiences, in my senses, this is how I perceive and experience that stuff. And so I started taking some risk and like experimenting on my then relationships, like specifically with my friends and people I was doing life with. I started saying no, because the other thing, um, Kat, was I grew up, I got saved when I was four. I grew up in the Baptist church. I was a very good Christian boy. I was so mm. well behaved. I was so nice. I was so agreeable. Everyone loved me, um, but I was lying all the time. I <laughs> pretended like I didn't know what was going on with other people. That I, I didn't. I wasn't aware of their insecurities. I wasn't aware of their manipulative nature. That they were trying to hide and twist things. They had a hidden agenda. You know that there was something dark going on behind the scenes in their life. Like I was aware of that stuff. I didn't know how to put it into language, and I usually ignored it. I pretended like it wasn't there, and I just got really good at pretending. And that was normal for me. And so, you know, intimacy became a theory at that point. And I would just take whatever I could get in whatever relationships that would scratch that itch, if you will. But most of my intimacy I experienced in my life was coming from my relationship with the Lord, which I'm so grateful for, but that's not, you know, a holistic approach to life. Like we need other Mm -hmm. people. So anyway, going through that little experimental phase, I started saying no a lot. Like basically I started opposing the dysfunction in my relationships and like letting people know when they said or did things that I didn't like, that I didn't agree with, that I didn't love. I started like having a voice there and saying like, Hey, that that's not awesome for me. I don't agree with that. I don't think that's a great idea or whatever. Finding language. And thankfully Danny Silk and Dan Fairley at Bethel were very helpful in giving me some words to use in that mm-hmm. part of the conversation. But I was also pairing that with my discernment and like stepping into that space kind of holding people accountable to things that they weren't necessarily conscious of, but I still mm-hmm. felt this strong justice thing that they're still responsible for it. So anyway, um, in that time, I saw a lot of radical breakthrough for people. They started, I started noticing a pattern where people would say basically the same three things to me as soon as I was done pointing something out that was spiritual. They would often say, wow, no one has ever told me this before. Second item is, I know exactly what you're talking about. And the third mm-hmm. one is, Right now, all these memories are flooding my mind of what you're describing, and I never knew what to do with it. And that was like everyone was saying that stuff, typically in that order. Sometimes it'd be in a different order, but they would be saying those same things. I'm like, what is going on? And why? You know, I started breaking into this area where I'm like, yeah, no one talks about this. I'd never heard this before either, but people are recognizing the validity, and it's actually connecting to their their experiences. And the things I'm picking up are connecting to things that they're actually aware of in their life. And so I was like, okay, maybe I guess I'm not crazy. This is real. And I just continued to step down that road and experiment further and clean up my messes and apologize when I got things wrong or when I came at it with the wrong motive or whatever, you know, so it was a really (laughs) refining process Um, from that place, seeing the amount of freedom and breakthrough and the depth of connection that could happen when that stuff is where you're connecting. I was shocked. I was like, this is incredible. I told my friend, I was like, we need to teach people this stuff. Like people don't know how to talk about these things. They don't understand how to navigate this and the world needs to know this. And she was like, yeah, I agree. And that was years ago. So I haven't given up on that. And I can, I mean, I'm just charging even harder. Oh, sorry. Charging even harder. Awkward. I don't know how to, you know, let me turn that off. Um, so like one of my life's missions right now is to elevate the spiritual intelligence of the planet. Um, not cause I want to be weird. I don't want to be part of some strange niche, right? Like I don't think this is fringe content. I think that everyone is experiencing these things and we just haven't expected us to have competency or awareness of this stuff, let alone accountability. But, um, when people step into this place and actually start recognizing that they can be known to a greater degree than whatever persona they're putting out there. And there's actually a a more objective standard held over all of us because of Mm -hmm. the spirit. It's actually a very freeing place. It's very vulnerable, you know, and you don't get to control it, but it's so empowering because it's the way we were meant to live. And I'm going to stop talking Mm -hmm. because I've said a lot of things. No, um, I'm tracking. I have all these questions. Um, So (laughs) (laughs) when, okay, I'm like such a, I'm like a, I need an example person. So when you are like talking about, okay, you would, you started stepping into this like 
um, developing discernment and then like practicing on people. Can you give me like an, a specific example of like, what does, what yeah. did that, what does that look like? What is a specific scenario of like you having a conversation with someone? Why did you have it? And what was it about? Yeah, um, totally. Um, a really mm-hmm. obvious example that comes to mind right away. And I've, I mean, I could tell you so many examples. Mm-hmm. This one's nice and obvious and weird. I was going to, I've taken a college class at a local um, community college here in Reading. And a buddy of mine that I'd met through cl- that class, we had mutual friends. So we were both just getting to know each other. So we, and we had a class together. So we sat next to each other. We're still kind of getting to know each other, had mutual respect for each other, whatever. Um, this guy was I, anointed, for lack of a better term. He had charisma. He was a leader. People naturally wanted to follow him. And I could feel that thing compelling me to want to submit to the authority in his life and want to follow him. Mm-hmm. Um, and I was aware of it. And I had a choice. I could either be offended and oppose that thing, or I could submit to it and allow it to take me down a path that I didn't know where it was going to go, but that I would be subject to him. And I was like, you know what? I want that. I could feel the nature of it. It's good. It's from the Lord. So I submitted to him in that place. I didn't say this. And I didn't say this out loud. He didn't know that was happening. It was just, you know on my end. But anyway, fast forward one day in class, this kid four rows down from us, um, said something out loud in the room and the kid was carrying rejection and self-hatred. He was so ashamed and just like compensate overcompensated for his lack of like confidence and self-worth. And so he said this thing from that place and it was kind of jagged and it hit the room. And then my buddy next to me responded with, I forget verbatim what he said. I wish I would have just written it down. I, you know, I didn't know this is going to be such a big moment for me, but um, he said a comment back to the kid, basically mocking what the kid had just said. And when my buddy did that, um, I immediately felt this rip in the spirit, if you will. Like there was a terror mm. betrayed by him. And I was like, oh, because the nature of the thing wasn't, he wasn't just being playful. There was a, a spirit of mockery, like motivating his words. And it like was violating and it came, and it hit me in an intense place because I was already so submitted. I mean, I was already in a like vulnerable posture toward him, right? Um, which affects how you pick up stuff in the spirit. And then in the second or two later, people around us who heard him busted up laughing, like a bunch of people in the room laughed Mm. at what he said at the expense of the kid. And that thing that I felt, that mockery thing, dramatically increased in the room in an instant. I was shocked. I immediately shut down emotionally. I was so overwhelmed and like uh, just taken aback. I was just not aware of being conscious of those things while they were happening. I had only ever, Mm. you know, done the aftermath work of like trying to, pick up the pieces of something I didn't understand what happened. All of a sudden I'm catching it while it's going on. I was like, Whoa. Mm. And I immediately was like sad and angry and offended and concerned. Cause I knew I was gonna have to talk to this guy if I was going to, you know, keep my conscience clear. So after class, I asked if we could chat for a second. We went to the library and I was like, dude, you're an amazing man. You're a leader. Obviously God has anointed you to like lead people. They want to follow you. I can feel that. It's awesome. I respect that about you today in class when that kid said the thing and then you said this and everyone laughed. You remember that? He's like, yeah, I was like, yeah, when that happened, that actually felt awful to me. The thing that was coming from that felt like a spirit of mockery. I'm not trying to be spiritual about this. I'm just telling you what I experienced. It felt like this and it came in this way, right? Like it was picking on what he was saying and trying to expose him. And then when everyone laughed, it actually amplified in the room, the authority you carry, actually that spirit used that to, you know, kind of direct the room. And I was so sad to see your influence being used in that way in people's lives. That's not what it's for. And I wish that you were more conscious of those things. I know you didn't do it on purpose, but I want to bring this to your attention so you can actually step into a more full version of how you're supposed to be influencing your environment. And he was like, holy crap, Mike, I've never heard this before, but I know exactly what you're talking about. Mm. It's so weird because right now all these different memories are coming to my mind of that thing. And I've known it's been a problem. I just never knew what to do with it. I didn't realize it was, you know, coming from that place, but I think you're right. And thank you for saying this. And blah, blah. you know, is that an example? Does that work? Yeah, no, that's a great example. Okay, yeah, yeah. yeah. Because when I, I think what, when I think of discernment, um, so I've like had this, this thing in me that I've had for a very long time, like I resonated so much when you said like, I've just always been able to feel like what other people are feeling. And I think for a lot of my life, like I just like didn't know what that was. And I would be so impacted. Like I would walk in, I walk into a room and I'm like, whoa, like I can like feel like, oh my gosh, like what's going on spiritually, like the things not being said. And Mm, I even have this memory of from like being a child and like I was at my brother's Boy Scout troop. They were having like a competition for like car, like race cars they had all made. And there was like this one boy and he did really poorly. And like people kind of made fun of him, but you could tell more so like people just felt bad for him. Mm. Like it wasn't like what, there was just like pity over this person. And I was probably in second grade. And I remember like, 
going. I like felt so hurt for him and I felt what he was feeling. Like I couldn't sleep that night. I even like slept on my floor and my like parents came to tuck me in and they're like, why are you on the floor? And I just started crying and they're like, why are you crying? I was like, I just felt this emotion of this boy and I felt so bad for him. And I didn't know how to like, I didn't know what to do with those emotions. And so I've had these like pretty like visceral experiences through my life. And what I've wondered at times, like the older I've gotten, the more I've been like, oh, I have discernment. Like mm-hmm. I I can, I feel people's energy and I feel what's kind of going on like in the uns, in the unspoken spaces of a relationship. Mm-hmm. But I think sometimes like it, we can use that in manipulation oh, against for people. Sure. Or like I had to really check myself because I knew this thing about this person and it would make me look and sound cool or spiritual if I shared that. Mm -hmm. And so I would like share that to like bump up my own ego of like, oh, look, I'm like total, look, look what I know about this person. Um, So in sharing all of that, um, my question for you is like, what do you think is the purpose of discernment and um, how can we use it from a like, in the in the words of the Bachelorette franchise, how can we use discernment for the right reasons? Um, <laughs> um, and then the next question after that is how do we how can we start stepping into discernment in healthy ways? So I know you teach whole courses on this, but maybe if you have just like a couple of things that like a person listening to this could like walk away and be like, oh, these are a few things I can actually implement to like start walking into sermon. Yeah, totally. Great questions. And Kat, I also just want to say, I loved your awareness and willingness to even like process through that stuff at such a young age. I think that showed a lot more emotional intelligence and maturity than I had growing up with what I was experiencing. (laughs) That's awesome. Um, I was just like, what's happening? I just felt, I just felt so sad, you know? Yeah. So for me, I think uh, in my research of just looking traditionally and historically at the gift of discernment, a lot of Bible commentaries and like historically, it looks like the gift of discernment was used to protect the church from heresy or like false doctrine, false teaching, false prophecy. Like a lot of people use it to like expose false prophets and that whole thing. Um, It seemed like that was like a main focus and crux. And I think that that's still true and really helpful, but I don't think that's the main purpose of the gift of discernment. I actually think and this is my opinion. I'm not gonna. I'm not speaking as a theologian here. I'm just coming from my own subjective experience and you know my strong convictions of what I've walked out with the Lord in this. I think some of the most powerful and instrumental ways that discernment is supposed to operate in the church is one to expose the enemy in the ways that he's participating in someone's individual life, in a circumstance, in a situation, in a conversation, in a relationship, or over a corporate body, whether it's at church or business or wherever. It's not relegated to just the church. Anybody operating in this you know, under the power of the Holy Spirit can use this gift in any arena. Um, so exposing the hand of the enemy is a huge function that's super helpful. It also helps clarify when the Lord is doing something. Obviously, all believers are supposed to be able to recognize when the Lord's doing stuff, but the gift of discernment does pick up, you know, obviously the Holy Spirit, but also like ministering spirits, specifically angels, right? That gift is pretty sensitive to that stuff and being able to recognize when it's coming from the Lord and his side of the, everything. Mm-hmm. Um, but then also another interesting powerful functional dynamic of discernment that I found specifically in community is it actually provides accountability and a standard. The gift of discernment when walked out with maturity and wisdom, and it's not just like you reacting to impulses you're picking up because your gift is firing off, but you've actually learned how to walk that out in wisdom and understanding and compassion. Um, Discernment actually calls people to a standard that's legitimate in terms of what the Lord has empowered them to be, what they have to offer. Because every person walking around has a measure that they've been given. And when you see like the parable of the talents as an example, but it's throughout the New Testament, the master is looking for a return, right? And people are held accountable to according to the measure they were given. And so to whom much is given, much is expected or required, right? Depending on the translation you're looking at. And so when it comes to your personal stewardship of who you are and what you have to offer, the gift of discernment actually can catch a lot of that. It, it, we, it operates in part. Every gift operates in part. It's not you know a foolproof, like authoritative, it, you know all things. I've yet to see mm-hmm. that be a blanket statement for any person. The, the scripture shows us that you know our gifts operate in part, but they're still potent and pretty effective in being able to you know expose and navigate and specifically hone in on that stuff. And so mm-hmm. in relationships personally, but then also in the way that I lead my teams, the gift of discernment is how I actually hold them accountable to what they're meant to be 
like bringing to the table. Like, so for one person, I might actually be upset about what they did because it was half hearted and, you know, like a fraction of who they are versus I'm going to celebrate like crazy someone else who did the same exact thing, but because it's the wholehearted motion, right? It was like everything they had. Mm-hmm. And so my response to that is not going to be based on the action or the, the word choice or whatever. It's going to be based on where it's coming from in the spirit and the gift of discernment allows you to recognize, you know, some of the depth charge on some of those things, um, mm. which obviously is sensitive material. And you can definitely use it to harm people, to manipulate, to coerce, to deceive, like for sure. And I think mm. I did that a lot growing up, not from a malicious place, but it was really easy for me to get what I wanted. Um, mm-hmm. part, partly because of the influence that I carry, but also because that discernment piece helped me understand what people were looking for, what their motive was, what they were desiring, where their pain points were. I could pick mm-hmm. that stuff up very quickly and I could, mm-hmm. you know, kind of leverage that insight to move them in a, in a conversation with me toward the direction I wanted mm-hmm. to go or to get me mm-hmm. to feel something I wanted to feel in that exchange or whatever, which the Lord convicted me on you know, after I started recognizing what was going on and I got to go through this whole like repentance journey, of just recognizing all the ways that I had been twisting and taking advantage of my relationships. And I didn't realize that's what I was doing and I'd never been held accountable for it. And all of a sudden I was being given the opportunity to recognize that and clean it up. And I was so grateful to see that and to also recognize in me this desire to want to walk with the Lord in this place rather than use my powers for evil, if you will. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, Um, for sure. Yeah. And so then that's my, um, yeah, I think that's probably the, oh, sorry. The biggest thing that I think is the most effective use of discernment is discerning the spirit of the Lord in another person. I don't mean just like when they're anointed for a moment, I'm talking about the spirit that God said yes to and like decided to exist. Mm -hmm. That is that person recognizing the original nature of who they are. And that is an extension of who he is. And when you see that person, and usually when I see them, it's like a five-year-old kind of experience. They're innocent, Mm. you know, like they're pure, they're clean, they're Mm. perfect and they're beautiful and fascinating and so intricate. And when discernment picks that thing up, and I don't know that it's just discernment, but I think my discernment thing really helps in that area. Cause I mean, I relate to a lot of people in that way. I don't, I wouldn't say it's happening all the time, but it happens on a pretty frequent basis. And that's typically how I'm relating to people. That is such a beautiful, profound operation of discernment and allows Mm. us to posture our hearts coming from the spirit of love toward that person and letting that inform how we choose to engage with them, how we respond, how we value them, how we treat them, whatever. Mm. Um, I think that's one of the most beautiful ways I've seen the gift of discernment operate in my life. And it's been so helpful and transformative in terms of building authentic relationships with people I care about. Um, And then as far as like growing in discernment, you're right. There's a, I mean, I have some content out there that I put out which is obviously a great resource. But um, one of the ways, I mean, I think there are two different kinds of people in this conversation. There's the one side where, you know, people were born with this. It it was Mm. operating in their life, their whole life. I actually believe that spiritual gifting can be passed through generational lines. Um, Mm. Like spiritual gifting, again, this is Mike's opinion. I don't know that I have a ton of biblical proof for this other than yeah, we don't do that. Anyway, um, <laughs> I think that actually some family lines, their spiritual gifting is passed through the DNA, through the bloodline. It actually is like bound to that. And um, so I see yeah. this gift operating quite predominantly in my family, especially on my mom's mm-hmm. side of my family. Uh, even in believer, uh, sorry, people who aren't believers and don't know the Lord, they're still operating mm-hmm. in a sensitivity to the spirit realm and using discernment. It's fascinating to see the choices they make with what they know, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, but anyway, so there's that side of the spectrum. Then the other side is people who weren't born with this, but have a value for it or are, are interested or want to grow in that stuff. I believe the people who are born into the world with a sp- certain gifting are not just supposed to be the ones operating. And I think they're supposed to show the church what's possible and then, you know, how to pick that stuff up. So I think the other side of the spectrum is people can posture themselves to honor the gift of discernment on the lives of other people. And like from that place of honor are actually then receptive and able to receive an impartation and understanding in that area to operate in that gifting themselves. Um, and I don't think it means that they don't get to be as powerful or as effective or as skilled or as whatever as the people who are born with it. I think it really boils down to stewardship. And so some people might need to mm. receive it as a transmission versus others who are, came into the world immediately that way. And so uh, either like if you're on either end of the spectrum, there's a lot of trial and error, a lot of testing, a lot of like practice that needs to go into it. It doesn't just, you know, chime in immediately. You have to actually hone this thing and the rest of your senses, your affection, your desires, your, you know, emotional and cultural bias, your social pressures, those all affect how you relate to discernment. Um, sorry, I'm not trying to complicate this. Uh, you're not, you're not, I'm tracking. You're good. Nice. Yeah. So I think, um, at the end of the day, a big piece right now, because there isn't a ton of teaching content out there, it's kind of why I'm kind of hustling on mine to try and come up with stuff. Um, 
is, you know, when you find people who are operating in it, if they're, they have the gift, I would, if I didn't have the gift, but I saw and wanted to grow in it, I would get around the people that I recognize did have it. And I would ask them questions. And I would basically just posture myself to listen like a student, like a novice, like a child who's so curious and hungry for knowledge and just listening to the nuanced things that they're saying that maybe they don't know how to communicate about, but you can pick it up because mm-hmm. that spirit of understanding will pull it out of them and give you insight. I would go to town, you know, in that area, especially I devour whatever kind of resources you could on this subject. Mm-hmm. And there's starting to be a little bit more put out there. I know Jennifer Evaz and James Gall, put out a book, I think last year on discernment. Um, I'm currently writing one, but obviously I have my course out there and a lot of content I put out on social media regarding the gift of mm-hmm. discernment. I would get around those resources and just kind of like, you know, test it out, like explore that, see what you see in scripture. The thing with discernment in the new Testament, especially though, is there isn't a ton of explicit examples of it. They are there if you know what you're looking for. So like you see Peter mm-hmm. and Paul and Jesus operating in supernatural discernment. The Bible just doesn't tell you that's what's going on, which to me is like mm-hmm. confusing. I'm like, why don't they tell us this? They just tell us <laughs> what happened. They don't explain like the operation of the Holy Spirit in that person. Right. right. But right. the crazy thing is they're doing what we're all capable of doing. Like that's not just the yeah. super Christians. That's for people who, you know, are walking with the Holy Spirit. Yeah. And it's almost like, even when you say that, it's almost, it's like, it's implicit, but you're like, okay, so how do I like, how do I actually get into that? So I'm super excited to link to your course and the Jennifer Evaz book. And I think what you said, like the number one thing, position yourself as like, as a student and be curious, yeah. explore, test, like ask questions to people in your life that yeah. kind of like, you're like that person, like that person is really wise. Like that, let me ask them questions. Mm-hmm. So I think that's like, that's super helpful. Yeah. Okay. Okay. All my single ladies, listen up. Raise your hand if dating as a single woman of faith in today's swipe right, swipe left culture has been a struggle fest. I've experienced it at all from being stuck in the friend zone like it was my job to my dating life looking like the Sahara Desert to awkward setups to heartache to being ghosted and pretty much everything in between. But you know what I've discovered? It doesn't have to be this way. Truly. I know you're like cat. You don't know me. You don't know my story. And you're right. But I know mine and I know what it's like to feel hopeless in this area of my life. And I know what it's like to move into my season of singleness and dating with hope and clarity and practical tools and freedom. And over the last few years, I've literally journeyed with thousands of women all over the world and walking into more freedom and purpose in their dating life. So I created a free guide for you to help you jumpstart your dating life and get unstuck. It's called Six Tips to Activate Your Dating Life. You can grab it for free at bit.ly slash TRW dating tips. In this guide, I will teach you the biggest mindset shift that will transform how you show up in your dating life. And then I'm going to show you how to get unstuck in your relationships. I know you want to meet a quality guy, but it's like, how, right? I got you, girl. Then the number one thing you can start doing today that will radically transform your season of singleness. And lastly, the three things I wish someone would have told me 10 years ago about dating. This guide is for you if you're a woman of faith that longs for a meaningful relationship but have no idea how to get there. Is that you? Then go ahead and go to bit.ly slash TRW dating tips and grab my free guide, six tips to activate your dating life. All right. That was super fascinating. And I'm looking at our clock and I'm like, oh my gosh, I have seven more hours worth of questions to ask you. Um, So I'm going to switch gears a little bit. Um, You said you're a serial entrepreneur. Yeah. And um, one thing, one of the main reasons why I reached out to you is because I heard on your podcast, you talked about kind of your story in entrepreneurship. And so, A, would love to hear that. And then specifically what came to my mind when I go through your content is I hear from so many people, myself included, for a really long time, I felt like, oh, I'm a person of faith. Like, I should not aspire to make a good living Mm. or to run my own business as selfish. Mm. Like, shouldn't I be doing quote unquote ministry? Um, Or shouldn't I just be giving everything I have to the poor? 
And so what I've seen, what was in myself, which is why probably I'm able to see it in so many other people, like you spot it, you got it, Mm. um, is this like scarcity mindset with money. Um, And so I would love to hear all your thoughts on that. And even just like your process of getting into entrepreneurship. Yeah, totally. Yeah. So the entrepreneur side, yeah, I, I mean, I, my whole life I was an entrepreneur. I just didn't know it. You know, I, it's like, I think it's actually an identity piece. I think it's an intrinsic part of who I am. I didn't realize that until I was 25, but I've always had this driving passion to not have a boss, not because I'm lazy or not because I'm rebellious, but because I wanted to be innovating. I wanted to be like taking ground. I wanted to explore. I wanted to experiment. I wanted to push the envelope. That was something that I can't get rid of. I, in every season of my life, in every area, I've always been that way. And it's still that. This is still true to this day. So trying to be an employee or a student in the traditional sense of the word has always been somewhat torturous for me. It's been difficult and I've had to like, you know, learn discipline and patience and delayed gratification, all that to like stay sane in those environments. And I've always been a really good employee or teammate or student or whatever, um, but always had this unrest. And so I remember I was 25, started like doing some research on, especially in social media, which is a funny source to be looking at, but started finding a bunch of people who were doing things that I was really in- intrigued by and inspired by, like other entrepreneurs out there who were building a life that I respected and wanted. They were teaching courses. They were creating their own content. People were buying their books, their CDs, their seminars, you know, they were hosting events. Like they were traveling around the world and influencing mm-hmm. people. And they were saying things that were you know, outside of the scope of traditional academia and like helping people think differently about money and the economy and income and all the things. And I was like, yes, this is so fascinating. And I feel so invited and affirmed and validated. I finally found my people mm. and none of them were around me. They were all like, you know, in some other country or some other state somewhere. Learning something amazing. <laughs> so I just started there and letting my, like just kind of receiving permission from these people, like they're doing it, which means Mm -hmm. I get to as well. That's possible. That's happening. That's awesome. And then just as that belief continued to grow, I started also reading books, like a lot of, you know, different getting your mind right books, whether they're financial books, self-help books, personal development, leadership, Mm -hmm. business, whatever. I was just devouring different books and started finding some other, you know, successful people around me and like having conversations with them. And you have to realize when you start focusing on something and you're affectionately and ardently like committed to a financial answers in that area, the world responds to that. The spiritual dynamics of that actually shifts and you start having things come into your life. Um, A lot of the people in the secular world call this a law of attraction, which I don't disagree Mm -hmm. with. Like, I think that's fine. At the end of the day, like there's a law of sowing and reaping going on, right? And the the spirit realm is responding to what you are agreeing with in your spirit. Mm -hmm. So when you say yes to wealth or possibility or strategy or innovation or something else, you actually start catching the different things that were probably already around you before you just didn't have eyes to see them. But all of a sudden I started getting Mm -hmm. flooded with people around me and on social media and online where I started getting a lot more resources and information and invitations to go down different roads to learn and grow in that area. Um, so I remember I wanted to buy a, an investment property and I looked at my income and I was like, and I was getting paid by the hour and I was a full-time employee. And I was like, Oh my gosh, if I, don't do anything else. It'll take me like years to even to be able to like build up the capital to just get a loan. You know, I was like, this is crazy. I can't do this. So I remember I went on a walk and I was talking to God and I was like, God, I need to come up with a different form of income. Like I can't just be an employee. I need something else. I need more, not out of like greed or like trying to validate my my own existence, but out of like a passion to want to build and get there sooner, you know? And so um, a buddy of mine actually was working next to me at my job and asked me if I would take over overseeing one of the properties in this housing community that he was managing. Like he was a property manager and had a heart for like community living. So I ended up like doing that for free and just kind of volunteering in that space just out of passion. Did it so well. He asked me to train all of his other people doing other like hosting other homes in his community. So I started building a whole structure and like how I would design it. Then he asked me to be a business partner. So that became another income stream. And in that time, I also launched a spiritual life coaching practice. I was just on a walk with God. And I was like, if I could do anything, what would I want to do right now to generate new, like more revenue? And it was that. And I'd never seen a spiritual life coaching practice before. I wasn't sure if that was a thing. I called it spirit coaching, Googled it, didn't see much. And I was like, okay, I don't think this is a thing, but I think it's a thing because with the discernment thing, I was doing that for years. I was coaching people constantly, trying not to give them the answers, asking insightful questions, but using my sensitivity and discernment to ask specific pointed questions and specifically to push against what I could feel in the spirit wasn't true. Um, So the thing with discernment, uh, at least the way that I experience it is I can tell when people are lying. I'm not looking for it. It just kind of truth hits me in a certain way. And when people speak and it doesn't hit me, I'm like, oh, that's not true. I don't know how to, that's really difficult to explain, but um, I've learned to catch and like track it. 
it. And that has become so insightful and helpful when people are speaking with me. They'll typically tell me things about them, like identity things that aren't based on facts. It's based on what they believe about who they are. And I don't know them at all, but I can feel according to the spiritual frequency of the thing, like, yeah, that's actually not true. It's not coming from something that exists in the spirit. And so if I push back on that stuff, it's hilarious to watch what happens. They don't get it at first. (laughs) And then as we continue to dialogue about it, all of a sudden they're kind of unraveling a few minutes later and like realizing for the first time, like, oh, this thing isn't true in my life. And then freedom kind of gets to break through and it's amazing. So I started coaching people in this area that became an income stream that grew. And then a couple of years later, um, I got introduced to a product brokerage franchising option online and I invested in that as well. And that started to grow. And so I had these three different income streams and then I was starting to travel and speak as well. And people were giving me honorariums for speaking places and that became another income stream. And I was like, what is happening? And so from these different income streams, my income actually surpassed my full-time salary. Um, and I was like, geez, I'm making more money in my side hustles than I am at my full-time job. Uh, I could quit my job and still like be able to live my life. And all of a sudden get 40 hours a week back. That sounds like a massive raise, right? And anybody who has, you know, (laughs) different things going on, they know that time has a lot more value than money when you get to a certain point, right? And so I was super intrigued by that. And I remember I was on a mission trip to Japan over the summer and was speaking and teaching on discernment especially. And people were so hungry for the kingdom and for answers and for clarity and whatever. I remember flying back to Reading after that trip and was still an employee. And I was like, I can't go back to being you know, a desk jog. I can't just sit at a desk and work on spreadsheets and emails and, you know, administrating, administrating things when there are people in the world who need answers that I have access to. Like I can't just do a job anymore. So it kind of became this conviction thing. So September 15th, 2016, I quit my job and threw a retirement party and (laughs) um, everything changed. That was over, that was almost three years ago now. And I'm so grateful that happened. It was a journey for sure, but I definitely like invested and built things on the side for a while before all of a sudden it made financial and Mm. destiny sense um, to let go of the job because it was actually getting in the way of what I was supposed to be doing. Mm. That's such good. Um, Just hearing you say that, I think it kind of answers this question, but I want to ask it to you anyways. I get asked all the time from women, like, when should I quit my full-time job? Mm -hmm. Like, when when, and how do I take the side hustle to the main hustle? And that's a struggle that I had when I started my photography business is I worked for a guy for four years and then I was like, I got this. I got the contacts. Like, I have the portfolio. And I ended up like, you know, kind of like jump now, fear later. And my (laughs) first year living in New York, which was six years ago, um, I made like $13,000 for the whole year. Like, I was like, what did I do? I made the biggest mistake. I feel like such a fake. Um, And so I think there's like some people that think, you know, jump now, fear later, or if you build it, they will come, you know, like I have to quit the job so that I can put my time and focus towards the side hustle to make it the main hustle. But I think where I'm leaning more now is like, wait until your finances replace itself. And that kind of sounds like that's sort of what you did. What would you say for the person who's like at the full-time job? That's like, I have this side hustle. When do I know when to quit it? I love that people are even asking that question. That's awesome because it takes guts and courage to even consider that. So I'm already applauding the fact that we've been having this conversation. Um, Mm -hmm. But for me, I think I have a couple different answers to that. One, I think a big part of this is, and Robert Kiyosaki teaches this in Rich Dad, Poor Dad, um, your financial IQ, your financial intelligence is a big factor in the kind of risks you can take, Mm -hmm. right? And obviously like branching out on your own, there's a measure of risk there, but you can limit or reduce how much risk you're actually taking by how knowledgeable and educated you are in the respective field that you're trying to build in, right? Mm-hmm. And so that's one huge way to mitigate risk. Um, and you definitely want to invest in that area. So like, you are the most powerful asset you will ever have access to. So like, personal development is such a huge passion and value of mine, so much so that I've created an entire gamified system for my whole team here in Reading to incentivize them to you know develop a specific kind of sleeping schedule, time management, um, you know, follow through diligence, discipline, that kind of stuff. Like it's such a big deal because you will be in every season of your life and you will be the one determining what kind of success you get to experience and the way that you partner with God. And so you definitely want to build and invest in who you are, not just emotionally, relationally, you know, spiritually, of course, those things, but also financially, business wise, you want to grow in your understanding and knowledge base of, you know, how you engage in that arena, your understanding in that space is going to help reduce the kind of risk you're running into. 
And then the other piece I would add to that is, um, yeah, a lot of wealthy people, and I was trained this way too, and I love it. I'm not as conservative as some of this might sound, and I hope to get there again, but um, <laughs> I'm taking more risk in investing upfront right now, which I'm excited about and I think is actually um, a good move based on what I know. But um, one of the things that I recognize in taking the risk for me was, uh, in, as far as leaving someone else paying my bills and me just being the sole proprietor, right, was can I bet on me? And I had to logically sit back and like critically think about that. And I was like, if I just like assessed myself from the last like eight years probably and looked at the choices I'd made and the effect I had on my environment and what I did with everything that was handed to me and everything that I had done for the last several years grew. I didn't fail. I didn't squander anything. I didn't like poorly manage any of it. I was like, no, I'm actually a really good steward. I'm a totally worthwhile investment. Me taking this risk of leaving my traditional job and doing my own thing, I would bet on this guy. And I wasn't doing that from a delusional place or an arrogant place. There was no ego in it. I was being very you know, logical and um, objective as much as I could be. And I was like, no, yeah, I'm, an, I'm a legitimate asset. I'm worth investing in. I think this guy's going to win. So I'm going to bet on him. And so I would kind of have that conversation with yourself, just assessing what the last several years of your choices had looked like. That to me is actually legitimate data you can use to measure how the next, how, how many years are going to go specifically with how you manage what's handed to you. But a lot of wealthy people when it comes to money are saying like, Hey, don't buy the luxury until your assets can pay for them, which I love. You know what I mean? Like you don't use your income to pay for luxuries. You use your income to invest in things that will generate more income to the point that your money is making money or you have, you own systems that make money. You want to graduate from trading your time for money and having systems and creating leverage in your life. And when that kind of thing is actually what can pay for stuff, it's not coming out of your own personal income or your savings or whatever, mm. then by all means, buy the thing. But that to me is where you want to like set yourself up for success is like own systems or processes or investments or whatever that will pay you versus you having to show up somewhere to spend a certain amount of time or effort in order to generate an income. That's, I'm, I'm like, can you coach me? <laughs> that's so good. Um, I think that's such an incredible question to ask, like, can I bet on me? Yeah. And from a place of not like arrogance or like, oh, look what I'm doing, but what you're saying, like really being honest with yourself. And um, so another question I had a few minutes ago, you said the law of attraction and the law of sowing and reaping. And uh, you said, you know, when you say yes to wealth, you start having the eyes to see mm -hmm. it. I totally agree with that. And I feel like it sounds really woo-woo. And I don't know, like, like for me, I'm like, okay, my worldview is I believe that like Jesus is God and that the Bible is true. And so that well, I always want that to be the source yeah. of like, okay, why is this thing true? And I, with this stuff, I've just kind of been like, okay, how do we make this not woo-woo? Because my experience has been that that is very true. So for example, ever since I was a little kid and I don't know where I got this number, I was like, if I ever make $100,000, I will be successful. That is like what the epitome of success is, <laughs> is to make $100,000. And a couple years ago, my business hit six figures. Nice. And then like, for some reason, it was like, I couldn't like bypass that barrier. I was like, why am I like, you know, I like, I feel like I was growing, growing, growing. And then I hit this barrier and it's not changing. And it was one of my friends and she's very like, woo woo. And she's like, well, like how much money did you tell yourself you wanted to make? And I was like, well, a hundred thousand dollars is always my dream. And she was like, okay, so you, you made an agreement with yourself about what success meant and you got that. And so that's where you're stopped at. So now you need to reimagine what does success look like for you and what is the lifestyle? What's the wealth that you want? And she challenged me like your starting point should be $250,000 a year. And I was like, well, that's crazy. Like who needs that type of money? And she was like, no, really sit with it. Like you're creating your reality. Yeah. And I was like, okay. So then I started looking at other areas of my life and this is not like super linear. Cause I started doing this other work before then, but most of my life I was like, guys only view me as friends. Like I'm always the friends. Like I'm, I'm, I'm the friend of the girl that all the guys like. And I got to this place in my life where I realized that's a story that I'm telling myself. And every room I walk into, I have those glasses on. And so everything that happened becomes ammunition for my story. And so I was creating this like self-fulfilling prophecy of like only attracting men that wanted to be friends with me. And so I've worked really hard to shift that narrative in my life. But 
like, I feel like I'm externally processing with you. Um, but my question is like, so what is the biblical basis for this stuff? Like, this has been true for my experience. Like when we say yes to things and I don't know if that's like what it means to take our thoughts captive, but what do you think about that? Totally. Um, yeah, for sure. Taking your thoughts captive, a big part of this and super important. And it's funny cause like in a, in some, in a lot of ways in this conversation, when it comes to wealth and success and business and that kind of thing, the world has a lot better handle on how to partner with the laws and principles that God put into place in this world than the church does, which is so awkward and mm. frustrating for me. And embarrassing. <laughs> I'm like, what? Because there's so much religion and false belief specifically around money, right? We have the verse, the love of money is the root of all evil. And people think that money is the root of all evil. And that's actually not what Jesus said and not what he meant. And um, mm. we've got a lot of like poverty mentality in the church. Um, it's really interesting uh, what was it like? Okay. I'm going to give you a really ugly, very quick, brief, like crude rundown of some his- history when it comes to like the church and their idea, ideas and relationship with money and wealth, especially mm-hmm. back in the day when, um, like in feudal times, even I, just, I don't even want to speak geographical, geographical locations, but just in the history of our, like the civilized world, um, there was a point where the like wealth was only reserved for you know royalty and nobility and you know people who were born in a certain cla- class or whatever, and then um, somewhere along the way, religion like then started like selling penance right, and people started buying whatever those things were called like rights and whatever else to like you know, assuage their guilt and get rid of their shame and, you know, make amends with God. And so that became like a controlling way for like the masses to not be able to, you know, overcome or overthrow that system. And when Christianity became like widespread, that was like a huge intrinsic part of the beliefs was like poverty was a value. And and a lot of those beliefs mm-hmm. as outdated and as like ridiculous and unbiblical as they are, are still practiced by a lot of Christians today. It's kind of crazy. But it's also like overtly demonic. Like that is not the heart of the Lord. God is not broke and his kids are not supposed to be broke either. And, you know, we're supposed to be like leading the charge in provision and blessing and generosity and, you know, resourcing the planet, whatever. And so it's anyway, there's just such a massive hypocrisy and like discrepancy in our beliefs on that. Um, It's so contradictory. Mm -hmm. Anyway, so we got to like get rid of a lot of the rot when it comes to our beliefs and attitude about wealth and abundance and provision and money, especially. Obviously, it's that's an offshoot of all that. But um, recognizing like what you believe and what you say yes to in your life, this is not just true for money, but it's absolutely true with money as as well. What you said yes to in your life is what you're going to produce. It it is what is going to manifest in your life. And it's Mm. not even something you're consciously trying to do. It's like the byproduct or the result of an ecosystem that you have said yes to in your own being. And so I like to teach, um, again, not like from a an authoritative place, but from my experience that our soul actually houses systems that are spiritual agreements energize, if you will, or power. And then from that place is what produces, like, you know, our habits come from our soul, like our memories, our attitudes, mm-hmm. our emotions, our thoughts, our desires, like all that stuff. But spirit is powering all of those things. So when you're saying yes to lack from the spirit realm and it comes into your soul and gets translated as a good thing, oh, look how I'm, look how pious I am. Look how humble I am. Look how Christian I am. Whatever that ends up translating into, it is going to manifest mm-hmm. in your bank account and in your you know, the stuff around you and the people you get to associate with and all those things. And this applies to all areas of life, but we're just talking about money. It's still true there. And it's such a, like a specific dynamic that is pervasive. And so we have to get rid of these false beliefs about God and about us when it comes to lack and, and poverty and control. Um, and absolutely that law of attraction thing, although I don't need to call it that because I know Christians can get really like, you know, scared and offensive or like offended by that stuff. Mm. Um, but there is this whole law in the kingdom that it is scriptural that says like God is like, test me in this. See if mm. I won't overwhelm you with more than you can handle. If you would just trust me and, you know, agree with my abundance and provision in your life and operate in faith in that place. Right. Like he's mm. very passionate and ardent. It's the only time in scripture he tells us to test him because we're not supposed to test God. Right. Um, Mm. and you see like all these different provision miracles where Jesus is demonstrating there's more than enough. He didn't just feed everyone just to the right amount. There's always Mm. more left over. Like that's the nature of the kingdom we're of. And so when we recognize that and we get out of this lack and fear and judgment and offense and whatever, we actually start opening up to a very, like a much more expansive universe where God is still creating to this day and miracles were not relegated to some time period in 
including our economic status. You know what I mean? Like we mm. are allowed, we're not, sorry, allowed is the wrong word. We are expected to be wealthy. I actually at this point feel pretty strongly that it is disobedience to be broke. It is not appropriate for people mm. to have lack. It's coming from beliefs that are not informed by the Lord. We settle for and become okay with a lack mentality and a lack of lifestyle because we believe things mm. God didn't tell us. We believe things that the enemy told us or the world told us. Or that. And it's like when I start talking about it that way, it gets a little more, you know, a little more, a little racier. But I like that's, I think that's in my conviction and beliefs and walk with the Lord, that is the truth. You are not allowed to be broke. And the Bible isn't saying yes. that. You are, I mean, I'm saying that based on my experience of the Holy <laughs> Spirit, of Jesus, of reading scripture, I'm like, you are not given permission to lack anything. I mean, I feel, I, I agree. And I like, you're just bringing the fire in the last few minutes, <laughs> like, holy crap. Um, but it was interesting. I had a conversation recently with, I have a ads team that I work with. Um, they're based out of Australia and, you know, they don't share my faith or worldview and we're talking and she's, okay, tell me what your business is. Tell me what you're doing. What's your vision? And she was like, I just need to tell you this. I don't know why I'm telling you this, but I just feel like I'm supposed to. She's like, there needs to be more people who believe in God that are rich. She's like the wealth, there's enough corrupt, wealthy people in the world that Mm. are responsible for the biggest decisions and culture, like, shifting cultures that she's like, there needs to be more people that believe in God that have like wild financial success. And I was like, dang girl, I receive it. Speak it over me. (laughs) But I just thought, wow, like what a, what an unexpected word from a, from another person. And I think, I mean, I just, I hear you and this, like this right here is like why I wanted to have you on here because I just feel like I know for so long I felt so guilty or not Christian enough or not spiritual (laughs) enough for being like, I wouldn't even let my mind entertain financial stability. And I had this like vision. It was like five years ago, because I moved to New York six years ago. You know, I I told you I made like less than $15,000 my first year in New York. I was literally sharing a bed with my best friend because we were both so broke. (laughs) And every month, like I would like pay my rent and I would have this, oh, I survived another month. Like that's the that's the sentence that would go through my mind. And then one time God gave me this picture and it was like, I was in this storm and I was in an ocean and I was treading water and um, I was surviving. And I, God was like, you feel pretty proud of that, huh? Like you're, you're a survivor. And I've prided myself on being a survivor my whole life. Mm. Like I was a survivor growing up. I was a survivor in college. I've provided quote unquote, provided for myself. And God was like, but what if you didn't have to tread water? What if you could have two feet on solid ground? Like, what if you didn't just have to survive? Like, what if you could thrive? Mm. And it was this moment, Mike, where I was like, I've literally never even thought that was an option. Like, I didn't know that, Mm. like, because all I knew was surviving and I was good at surviving. I could create really good results surviving. Mm. And that was kind of like beginning stages for me where I was like, God was like, what if you just imagined life where you were not barely making it by? Mm. What would you use your time for? What would you use your generosity for? Like, um, what would that mean for not only you, but for your legacy, for your ministry, for your influence? And that is when things started shifting for me. And I just see this like giant, I just feel like we're like all walking around with like, we like broke a leg and then we're like, well, everyone else still has the broken leg. So I'm just going to limp with it and, you know, get by because I can still make results off having a limp. And I'm just like, why? Like, no, let's interrupt this pattern. Like we got to interrupt this conversation. So So that's, that's my little soapbox. For sure. (laughs) I totally agree. Love that. Yeah. Um, So I know we could keep talking about this for a very long time, but I know you got to go. You're a serial entrepreneur. (laughs) So so just kind of wrapping up, um, I would just, you've given us so much incredible resources and insight Mm -hmm. and you have a great curriculum. You have great resources. You have like your NUMA stuff. Where can people follow along with you and stay in touch and get some more of your goodness? Yeah, thanks. Um, yeah, I'd say one of the best places to go is mikemayashiro.com. That's my website. It has, that's like the central place where 
almost all of my stuff is like compiled. So my courses, my book, uh, my eBooks, um, my coaching services, my, who we are, what Numa is, all, all that's there. Um, Instagram is probably another great place just in terms of like getting to know me, seeing my regular content. I happen to love the content we're putting out. I've got a team behind me who are helping me, you know, put all that stuff out there, but I write all the things that come out there. I run the story on my Instagram, like quality thing there. Um, I have a YouTube channel again, Mike Mayashiro. So we're putting out different um, YouTube series on there that you can only find on YouTube. So that's another great place to check me out. Um, super fun. And then I also have a podcast. It's called Confessions of a Reformer. Um, and basically I'm going, it's not just about discernment or money. It's about all the things. I'm basically just kind of opening up the back end of my life and being like, Hey, here's what's going on over here. Here's what I think here. Here's what I'm questioning. Here's what I don't love here. Here's what's amazing. Here's how this happened. We're just, it's a big conversation. I'm going to start pulling on some people to, um, interview on that as well, which I haven't gotten to yet, but I'm looking forward to that. And Kat, I'm probably going to have to pull you on there just so you know. Oh my gosh. (laughs) Be so honored. (laughs) Yeah. Those are probably the best places to check me out. Awesome. Well, thank you so much. I hope to get to meet you in real life one day um, and just bless what you're doing and we'll talk soon. Thank you so much, Kat. Hey, thank you so much for listening to this episode of the Refined Collective Podcast. If you are new here, maybe you've listened for a long time and there's topics, questions, comments, concerns that you have about what we're up to. Follow us on Instagram, The Refined Woman. Send me a DM and I will get back to you and let me know what you want to hear about. Let me know what you want to talk about. And I would love to make that happen for you. Have such a fabulous day. (laughs) Bye.